Well, last week we finished a rather controversial uh, sermon series, and I'm grateful to be on the other side of that. Uh, But I'm going to begin this morning by saying something incredibly controversial, just to keep with the theme. Happy Holidays. That's like a thing now. You can't say that to an evangelical. They call you a liberal, right? But this Sunday, that actually really fits because we're bridging the gap between Thanksgiving season and Christmas season. So I actually mean plural holidays. Uh, This is the one Sunday of the year uh, that you're not being a compromiser uh, to say happy holidays. And, and we're coming into the season of Advent here. And, and um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about, about diving in. But I'm curious, how many of you rush into this season? I want to take a poll this morning. Uh, how many of you uh, started decorating for Christmas prior to Thanksgiving Day? Let me see your hands. How many of you started decorating for Christmas prior to Thanksgiving Day? Y'all need Jesus. Y'all need some gratitude. Man. Well, apparently you're in the majority. Uh, the majority of Americans apparently decorate prior to uh, Thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, 43% of Americans, according to a recent survey, um, they were okay with decorating prior to November 1st. 43% of Americans. Ungrateful people. This is, this is how the terrorists win, y'all. This is what that saying means about going to hell in a handbasket is because we're decorating too early for Christmas. Um, That's not true. Um, But in keeping with my horror of this statistic, I must now practice some confessional uh, uh, behavior here and say we actually decorated prior to Thanksgiving Day in the Rife home this year. Uh, So we we violated our core principles and we are compromisers. So there you go. Um, Many of you know we... Remodeled our home last year, and by we, I mean my brother Greg, uh, remodeled our home last year. And so we started decorating for Christmas because we literally did not even know where we were going to put our tree. Uh, We didn't know where stuff was going to go. And uh, we have the open house next Sunday evening uh, between 4 and 6. You're all welcome to come uh, to our home for our Christmas open house. But since y'all are all coming, we had to get our stuff decorated, and we didn't even know where stuff was going to go. So we did start early. And, and, And here's the thing. I really enjoyed getting a jump on stuff, get, getting set up. My wife really enjoyed decorating prior to Thanksgiving because she didn't have to compete with college football on television, uh, and me and the boys actually helped with a little bit better attitudes this week. So that was all a win because this is an awesome time of year. I think the stage looks great. Thank you to all of you who helped decorate last week. Now, I, I love this time of year. We, we practiced uh, the celebrating Advent the last several years. Uh, the reality is Advent has been practiced by the church uh, for almost 2,000 years. And the word Advent simply means coming or arriving or on its way. And, and Advent has been celebrated during this time of year uh, for a couple thousand years as the people of God have, have remembered what it was to wait for the promised one to arrive. Waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. The, the thousands of years of waiting for uh, the coming of the Messiah well, we have the privilege of waiting, knowing he has already come. We have the privilege of waiting this side of the manger in history, knowing that the promise has been fulfilled. And, and we have an even greater privilege now is, is we also wait for his coming, his second coming. So in, in a way, we're joined with all of the believers throughout time because we are still waiting on Jesus. 
This time he won't come as a humble baby. He will come as a conquering king. He will establish his rule and reign. He will finally take his rightful throne. And so this second coming will look very different than his first coming. But we wait for his arrival. And that's part of what makes this time of year so special. And I think if we're not careful, we rush into this season, especially from the holiday last week, where we really need to slow down for a minute. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm hoping this morning to, that, to kind of install a speed bump in, in your rush to the Christmas season. Maybe, maybe this morning we would call this sermon Thanksgiving 2.0, maybe. Or, uh, still a phrase that we were using at Temple Christian School, our, our calendar is so full this time of year, we learned that it was impossible to have uh, a staff Christmas party. And so our staff Christmas party is actually a couple weeks before Thanksgiving every year. We call it our Thanksmas party, Right? And so maybe this morning it's the idea of thanksmas. We're going to bridge the gap between Thanksgiving and Christmas by just slowing down for a minute. And we're going to look at a great story in the Bible that deals with the idea of gratitude this morning. So I encourage you please to grab your Bible. If you don't have one today, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, let that be your first Christmas gift. We encourage you please to keep that. That is our gift to you. Uh, But for all of our guests, we invite you to join with us in our tradition. We hold our Bibles up in the air, and we say a creed together before we dive in. And we invite you to join with us in that tradition together this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 823. Luke chapter 17. A couple months ago, I was reading a great book by Pastor Craig Rochelle called Alter Ego, and he referenced this story that's found in this text uh, in this book. And and that text kind of jumped off the pages to me and reminded me Uh, One of my earliest remembrances of preaching as a young uh, teenager, as a high school student, uh, I preached this story. Uh, As a young preacher who's like, man, I don't think I have much to say. I want to tell a text that has a whole lot to say in it, right? And I remember preaching this text, and I started trying to do the math. I think I preached this text 25 years ago for the first time. And and, and I was revisiting kind of the nostalgia as I'm rereading the story, and, and I realized this is one of those stories that has become more of a Bible story than a moment in history to me. For those of us who've been in the church for a long time, I think we forget the humanity, the the humanness of these stories. And and I want us to revisit this story this morning as, as kind of the launching pad of our Advent series, because even though this isn't from Luke chapter 2, it's Luke chapter 17, which is sort of the Christmas chapter, it still has the themes of Advent Woven throughout it. So we jump into Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse number 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. That might not seem like a significant text, but the fact that he was on the way to Jerusalem is incredibly significant for us. That wasn't Jesus having a road trip for the holidays. He wasn't going to get his mom, uh, Mother Mary's favorite uh, dessert that she made for, for the holidays. No, he's on his way to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, here in Luke 17, if you go forward to Luke chapter 19, we read Jesus' entry to Jerusalem. He arrives. And they 
are waving, his followers are waving palm branches and crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is what we call the triumphal entry or the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus is not really just on the way to Jerusalem. We find Jesus in Luke chapter 17 on his way to the cross. We find him going to fulfill the purpose for which he came. We find him going to lay down his life for the salvation of the world. This is nearing the end of his public ministry as he is traveling towards Jerusalem, verse number 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. We aren't super familiar with, uh, with the disease of leprosy today because it's all been but eradicated from the globe today. Leprosy was a horrible, horrible condition. An incredibly painful disease. Suffering beyond belief. And this suffering wasn't short term. Leprosy could last years. And so you weren't just suffering, you were suffering and you don't know for how long. But it wasn't just emotionally painful it was or physically painful rather it was emotionally painful because you were separated from everyone and everything that you knew leprosy was incredibly contagious and so you were removed from society you were isolated you were an outcast removed from the life you had known removed from the people that you had known you could go years remember i told you the disease could last a long time you could go for years and not experience human touch the warmth of an embrace and all the introverts in the room are like, leprosy sounds awful, but no hugs. That sounds great, right? Sign me up for that. Isolated and removed from people. As a matter of fact, if you had leprosy, the custom of the day was that if you saw a person coming, you had to call out and describe yourself with one word. Unclean. Isn't that awful? I'm nasty. <laughs> Stay away. Right? Sometimes my sons come in from playing basketball and I go to give them a hug and they're like, hey, you don't want to do that. Right? This is that on a whole other level. I'm disgusting. Hi, stay away. That's the identity of these ten lepers. Verse 13, they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus. They identified him as Jesus. Now remember I told you this is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry. So, we don't have an exact calendar of this, but somewhere around three and a half years, Jesus was in his public ministry between uh, the, the wedding feast where he turned water to wine and, and then going to the cross and then rising from the dead. Somewhere around three and a half years passes before he ascends back into heaven. So we're at least three years into the ministry of Jesus and his fame had spread throughout the land. Specifically, I would guess, for the sake of the guys in our story, it's safe to assume... They had heard he was a healer. If you're dying of this horrible, isolating, painful disease, and you've heard that there's a guy who speaks to diseases and they disappear, you're going to call out. And they don't just call him by name, Jesus. They call him by title, Master, Lord. You're the boss. They, they submit to the authority that maybe he has over this thing that's killing them. And their plea to Jesus the master is, have mercy on us. 
That's an important distinction. They, they call out for mercy because they realize they have a problem that they need someone outside of them to save them from. Which is true for every one of us when we came to Jesus as well. We had a problem we couldn't heal, we couldn't fix, and we couldn't set ourselves from. We need somebody outside of us to save us from what's killing us. Namely, our brokenness. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when Jesus saw them. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that Jesus sees us in our brokenness? (laughs) He sees us in our desperation and in our helplessness. He sees. And I don't think that's just true in this story for these ten lepers. I believe it's true for every one of us in this room today. Jesus sees you. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your struggle. He sees you in the thing you can't fix. He sees you. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. What a beautiful word. The people who used to have to call out unclean are now cleansed. Isn't that beautiful? Their identity went from unclean to clean. That's what happens when we encounter Jesus. (laughs) We get a whole new identity. They went from I'm dying to I'm alive, which is our testimony. (laughs) We met Jesus in the deadness of our sins, and he gave us new life. It says that they were healed as they went to show themselves to the priest. That's the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law required that if, if you had a disease, specifically leprosy, but any disease, and you find out that you were misdiagnosed, or you find that you have been healed, then you would go to the priest, the leader of worship, you would show yourself and say, hey, I'm healed. They would study the the wound or the disease, and they would pronounce you healed. I'm really glad it doesn't work that way anymore. Really glad that if God heals you from some funky disease, you don't have to come to the church office for us to check that out. I'm really glad that's not how that works anymore. Because otherwise, Monica would be really busy, because I ain't doing that now. Um, they took a step of faith before they saw their healing. They obeyed Jesus and went to show themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. What a beautiful word. Verse 15, then one of them, just one of the ten, one of them, and here's another beautiful word, when he saw that he was healed. I had an encounter with Jesus, and now I've been healed. He turned back. Some, many English translations use the word came back. That's that's our Advent language. Advent means coming, right? Before he rushed to what was next, he came back. He turned back, praising God with a loud voice. I'm going to tell you something. I believe that if you've experienced true healing in Jesus, the only possible response to that is to praise God with a loud voice. 
If you've truly experienced an identity change from dying to living, from unclean to cleansed, from broken to healed, you can't help but praise God. So praise isn't something that we expect the musicians and the band to work us up into. It's something that rises up inside the heart of people who've experienced life change in Jesus Christ. He's praising God with a loud voice. He's making a scene. This wasn't dignified. Verse 16, he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. This is our happy holidays here. We're we're parking on Thanksgiving here, our Thanksmas Advent sermon. He gave him thanks. And if the Bible had such a thing as a P.S., right now it would go P.S., He was a Samaritan. He was a guy with whom there was cultural and ethical tensions between him and Jesus. But experiencing the healing of Jesus led to the praises of Jesus, which is what overcame the cultural and ethical tensions. And that's still true for us today. The experience of life change in Jesus Christ And living for the glory of his name is still what unites us today from every culture, from every tribe, from every language and every people. Verse 17, then Jesus answered. Man, it always gets scary when Jesus starts asking questions that you know he knows the answers to, right? We're not ten cleansed. As though the one who knows the number of hairs on our head and who knows the name of every star in the sky forgot how to count to ten. Right? Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? And that sounds almost like Garden of Eden to me. Where are you, Adam? Where are the other nine? Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go your way. Go on. Go to your life. Go to what's next. But you're going to go different. You're going to go your way healed and thankful. And what I'm going to propose, some ideas from this text and then some ideas just for conversation this morning. What I'm going to propose to us in this room is as we go our way over these next busy few weeks between now and Christmas... Can we please go our our way grateful that we've been healed by Jesus? Can we let gratitude be the lenses through which we move towards this Christmas? Don't rush so so fast past Thanksgiving that we rush through these holidays without the, the foundation and the lenses of gratitude to guide our way. So using this language of Advent, I want to talk about coming to the elements of this holiday season. And first, I want to encourage us to come home with gratitude. Come home with gratitude. And we don't know exactly where this man went when he rose and went his way because the Gospels continue to follow the life of Jesus, not the life of this one of ten who returned. But undoubtedly, eventually, he made his way back home. What a... A reunion that would have been with his family. They thought they would never be able to do life again, right? 
and he comes home. And the reason I think that's significant, when I look at this through Advent lenses, here's, here's what I believe. If your calendar looks anything like our calendar over the next few weeks, we have every opportunity to miss the moment with our family. We have the opportunity to be really busy with our family, but not actually be with our family. And I'm encouraging you to let gratitude slow us down a little bit so that we don't miss the very moments that this whole season's meant to be for. Because I've noticed that in some families, the stress and the busyness and the craziness of these next few weeks actually make us more tense and grumpy to the very people we're supposed to be enjoying the season with. Now, I would never be guilty of that, but I've seen that in some of you. (laughs) Don't ask my kids. Right? When you're running just trying to keep up with it all, we tend to take out that frustration on the only human beings with whom we will stand before the throne of God one day. Let's remember what matters most. And I say that specifically because I feel like this can be a season of obligation. This can be a season where we feel like, oh, I got to go to that. Oh, and I'm supposed to go to that. Oh, and I need to go to that thing. Oh, and I need to show my face there. And, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And in, uh, in, in the midst of all the obligation, we might forget the relationships that matter most. Can we put some roots down of gratitude at home? And if you need help doing that, we have some wonderful Advent devotionals in the cafe. Some are written for little kids or to to do with family with little kids, or some are just written to adults and some are in between. Some are just personal. They're not necessarily uh, family tools. Whatever the case may be, listen, there's some resources out there. Grab one before you go home today so that we can win at home this holiday season. Let's not win everywhere else and lose at home. Over these coming weeks. So come home with gratitude. And here's the second thing. Come to work with gratitude. Come to work with gratitude. And again, we we don't know about the life of this guy who rose and went his way. But I'm going to assume he wasn't living on social security. I'm going to assume eventually he had to go back to work in the field that he worked in or the shop of his father or whatever the case may be. And that's a really fair assumption because <laughs> there was no, no such thing as a retirement plan back then. So I'm going to assume that this guy eventually had to go back to work. And I'm going to talk about this, that specifically for these next few weeks, right? The great theologian Jerry Seinfeld has the episode where George during the holidays just sits at his desk and looks at the huge pile, just waiting for the holidays to be over, right? So he can go to his party. Here's the thing. I'm going to make an assumption this morning that your coworkers know that you're a follower of Jesus. I'm going to assume that your boss knows that you claim to be a Christian. And with that assumption, what I want to challenge you is, let's represent the Lord well at our jobs for these next few weeks. It, it, it's common knowledge that, that work performance is low during the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I just want to... I want to challenge the people of God, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. I'm convinced if we're grateful for what Christ has done for our life, we'll go back into the mundane with a different heart and a different attitude. And so let's, let's not be checked out. Let's engage. Let's work well. Whether we eat or drink or go to a Christmas party or get up and go to work, do all to the glory of God. Right? 
here's the third observation, and this one, um, this one is more about what the text doesn't say than what it does say. Let's return to the unknown with gratitude. The fact that the, that the story doesn't follow the life of this guy means all of that's totally unknown to us. What did it look like? Did he have kids? I want to know more about this story, right? I want to meet the one and have a conversation with him. And maybe after I've been in heaven for like a million years, I'll be like, hey, so what about that one guy where the other nine didn't return, but he did? So what's your backstory, man? What's your origin story? There's a lot that we don't know. But here's the thing about some of us when it comes to the unknown. For many of us, the unknown makes us very anxious, which fits really well with this window of time. People who battle anxiety say the, holiday, the holidays are one of the hardest times of the year. And listen, our, the next generation is struggling with anxiety on, on levels that we can't even begin to understand. And, and so for anybody who's dealing with anxiety, I want to specifically speak to the heart of gratitude and say, let's park at Thanksmas for just a minute because gratitude changes our ability to navigate anxiety. The, uh, the research from the National Institutes of Health says that nearly one in three adolescents between ages uh, 13 and 18 will at some point be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Between the ages of 13 and one in three. And man, we can talk about a, a million reasons why this statistic is true, right? We can talk about how social media has changed what life looks like for this generation. We can talk about just how smartphones and the accessibility of computers and blue screen, how blue screen affects this and how that affects the lack of sleep. We can talk about how expensive college is and therefore these, this generation is under tremendous pressure to get academic scholarships and to produce uh, athletic opportunities that maybe their skill level doesn't actually provide. Now, the anxiety of this generation is just heartbreaking. But I think another reason that this generation is experiencing anxiety is I don't think we are doing a good job of teaching them to be grateful. I think they're watching our consumerism and they're unsatisfiable. When the fact is, gratitude confronts anxiety. A phenomenal quote by an author named Jerusha Clark says this, Gratitude and anxiety are mutually exclusive neural pathways. You physiologically cannot be grateful and anxious at the same time. Maybe a way to navigate the, the anxiety of some family tension that you're going to experience over these weeks or the, the anxiety of getting it all done or of having the perfect holidays. Oh, man, the anxiety of that is so heavy on some of us. Maybe we can fight against that anxiety by giving thanks. This past week, I chose to practice this. I wanted to see if this worked. I figured if, if I'm going to preach this quote, let's test drive this thing, right? And so I was in a hospital room with a, a member of our temple family, which, P.S., we've got so many people struggling with health stuff right now. If, if you're not paying attention to the emails or if you're not on the email list, let us know because we need your prayers. We've got a lot of people walking through some rough stuff physically right now, but... I was in, in a hospital room on Wednesday and I was with one of our temple family who was really struggling with anxiety, really high level of anxiety. 
And so I decided to see if this would work. And I just began to talk to them about, well, tell me what you're thankful for this, this Thanksgiving week. Let's focus on that. And the more we talked about what they had to be thankful for, literally I watched their countenance change and the pace that they were speaking slowed and their breathing relaxed. And I watched my friend become less anxious while practicing thanksgiving. Truly, gratitude empowers us to fight against the fear of the unknown. Here's the other thing it helps fight against. And, and, and this gets to, the, I think, the core or the root of thanksgiving. Uh, let's, let's come and confront entitlement with thanksgiving. Spirit of entitlement. Entitlement and gratitude are, are at war with one another. One cancels out the other. If I'm entitled to something, I'm not grateful for it. I deserved it. And if I'm grateful for something, I realize it was a gift, not something I was entitled for. They truly cancel. One cancels out the other. And what we see in the language of the text is a war against entitlement. They did not say, hey, Jesus, give us what we deserve. Said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Hey, Jesus, I heard you healed some other people, so you better heal us too. I'm better than them anyhow. I deserve my healing. No, they just said, we need mercy. (laughs) We're helpless and we're powerless. We recognize that the best things in our life we didn't deserve. Here's the thing, the the idea of deserving something for the believer, for those of us who have a biblical worldview, man, that's a rough road to walk down. Because when I look at what I deserve, knowing that my heart doesn't submit to God, wants its own way, wants to protect self and and, and fight for self and and wants to not love other people genuinely, and I, I look at my heart, what my heart, according to the Scriptures, deserve is punishment, separation from God, the judgment of God. And yet he meets me in his mercy and in his grace and chooses me and offers me healing. That's just the goodness of God. I don't deserve that. And I can't be grateful for what's in my life and say, I deserve this. I should have gotten that. I deserve that. Gratitude takes entitlement out at the knees. When Craig Rochelle was writing about entitlement, he said this. He said, when you dig up the roots of entitlement, gratitude will grow in the good soil of a fertile heart. And and I would add to this and say, it's also the shovel (laughs) that digs up the roots of entitlement. And gratitude is both the weapon and the fruit. And I believe we live in a day of entitlement. Well, gratitude is the weapon for which we fight against. In this section of his book, Rochelle said, I find it interesting that people so often ask why bad things happen to people. He said, but I never hear anyone ask, why do good things happen to people? And the reason we hear the one and not the other is because we think we deserve a good life. We deserve for things to go our way. And you know what the, the heart of entitlement is? You know what the heart of entitlement is? It's worthy. 
I'm worthy. I believe there's only one who's worthy. We confront a heart of entitlement in the midst of a culture of entitlement as we're moving towards this season of entitlement by letting the roots of gratitude grow a little deeper before we rush so quickly to Christmas morning. The next observation I would make in the text is is the idea of generosity, that we come to generosity with gratitude. Jesus asks the great question, I thought there were ten. Where's the other nine? And I just can't help but enjoy the fact that we got 10% praise going on here. We have a tithing of gratitude taking place in this story. I don't think that's by accident. And I'm just going to park there for just a second and say I'm so old school, out of touch, old fashioned that I still believe both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach a biblical principle of tithing financially with what God has given to us. And I also believe that both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that there is a blessing and a reward for being obedient with the tithe. And I don't just believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that. I've watched it. I've watched it in my life, and I've watched it in many of your lives. God honors his people who are obedient. And I believe obedience is the behavior, or tithing rather, is the, the, the behavior of obedience. But gratitude is the heart of it. It begins with gratitude for what God's given us. And he just says, hey, I want you to trust me with 10% of that and watch what I do with 90%. Man, if I'm grateful for the provision of God, then the groundwork has already been laid for that. I was having a conversation with, with a dear friend. Um, I guess it's been two weeks ago now. And we were discussing the the business meeting that we have scheduled for next week. And we were discussing a tension. Every year I I have a tension of do we set the budget based on what was given this year or do we stretch it in faith? Praise the Lord. Every year for ten and a half years that I've been here, we've seen an increase in our giving. Now, Every year that increase has been not necessarily monumental. We're a pretty blue-collar church. I get that. But the, this tension is, man, so, so do we be responsible with what was given last year? Or do we set this huge budget in faith? And this church member said to me, I wish that you would do the research of based on what jobs our people have, this is what we think their income would be, and then set the budget at 10% of that number. And just see. Like, let's put it on a piece of paper and just see what we could do for the kingdom of God if we all tithed. And I said, you're trying to get me fired. And if we were just obedient to, to the Lord, let alone, let alone if, if above that we were even more generous. And I will say this. Last week I shared an, a, an opportunity for generosity with our church body. Last week I told you about a, a single dad in our church family who just got custody of his four kids and literally does not have a single piece of furniture. Nothing. And I mentioned at the end of my sermon last week, Hey, who, who would uh, see if God would move in your heart to help? And i got to be honest with you guys. It was an overwhelming response. It, it was overwhelming emotionally, but it was also logistically a little overwhelming. We had four people offering kitchen tables and chairs. And just trying to keep up with the people going, I got a couch, I got a dresser, I got a... It was incredible. 
people offering dishes and sheets and towels and silverware. And somebody took a turkey to that brother's house this week for Thanksgiving. And we didn't take up a special offering just from people walking up and sticking money in in our hands as staff saying, hey, use this to help that father. Y'all gave over $2,600 after church last Sunday. And this, this single dad who just gave his life to Jesus a couple weeks ago received that financial gift with tears running down his face. You know what he told me? He said, I didn't know when I gave my life to Jesus I would get a family too. (laughs) You demonstrated that with your generosity. I believe that comes from a heart of gratitude. When we recognize, man, God, you've been so good to me, I think the overflow of that is, God, I want to be a blessing to others. We're almost done. Two more observations in the text. And and I'll I'll quickly just say this. Let's come to our purpose. Come to our purpose with gratitude. Jesus refers to this guy as this foreigner. (laughs) But I, I, I somehow think he went back to his life with a whole lot bigger identity than just being a foreigner now. He went back on mission. Because again and again what we see when people had a a real encounter, a life-changing encounter with Jesus, they couldn't keep it to themselves. Their life was changed. And what I believe is if when, when we're living and walking and seeing life through the lenses of grateful hearts, we will live on a sense of mission and purpose to not waste our opportunity. I mean, think about it. He was quite literally under a death sentence and then was given life. That's my story. I was dead in my trespasses and sins and he gave me new life, made me a new creation, gave me a new birth. That means we have a new mission. That means we have a new purpose. And and some of you have experienced this. If you've ever been really, really, really sick, when I had back surgery back in 2015, when you first start to feel like yourself again, you're like, oh, I didn't know we had birds here. (laughs) I didn't know there was sunshine. When you're coming from the other side of a dark season, all of a sudden you have a clarity that's beautiful and holy and from God. And I believe we recover that when we're grateful for what Christ has done in our life. That we live on a sense of purpose. And and the last thing I want to say is this, and this might be the thing that we would take for granted, but I don't want to take this for granted. I want to end this morning saying, let's come back to Jesus. Let's come to Jesus with some gratitude. Because the point of this story is not about lepers. It's about Jesus. The point of the story isn't about healing. It's about Jesus. The point of the story isn't about praise. It's about Jesus. The point of the story isn't about gratitude. It's about Jesus. As a matter of fact, I want to extend some grace to the nine who didn't come back. Maybe they were grateful. They were just so excited they couldn't wait to get home. 
Maybe they even shouted back over their shoulders as they were running to see the priest, Thanks, Jesus! Maybe it's, it's not that they were grateful. Maybe, maybe it's that they were more grateful for the healing than the healer. Maybe they were more enamored with the gift than the giver. Because only one came to the feet of Jesus. This morning, it's not just about the salvation we've been given. It's about the Savior. It's all about Him. The reason I'm asking us to speed bump and slow down this thing before we rush through the holidays is because this actually isn't for us. And it's not for the cute little kids with the joy on Christmas morning. It's a way bigger story than all that. We're just players in the play. The story is all about Jesus. If we'll refocus our hearts on Him, we will be healed in this. Have you ever have you ever been really excited about giving a gift? You went to a lot of trouble with this gift, you put a lot of thought into this gift, and you gave this gift, and it was like, eh. You're like, what in the world? So a few weeks ago, one of my sons was inducted into the Christian Leadership Council. And parents are told, when your child is inducted into the Christian Leadership Council, to write a note of encouragement to them. I don't write handwritten notes to my kids very often, so this was a big deal. And so I sat down, and I truly thought, this isn't a sermon illustration, this actually happened. I sat down, and I, I thought, what is every word that a young man would want to hear from a father? Like, I wrote that word of blessing through the lenses of what's everything I would want to make sure I said to my son. And then I took that card and I gave it to my son on that day. And then we went out to lunch and he threw it in my truck. And it stayed there for days. (laughs) Laid in my truck for days. And I thought to myself... So gift-giving is not his love language, nor is words of affirmation duly noted. <laughs> but then I, I, I circle back to this idea. If, if, we, if we're caught off guard when a gift doesn't mean as much to somebody as we thought maybe it would, what, what must it be like in the heart of God? When we take the gift of His Son for granted so often, when our gratitude is so cold and half-hearted and distracted and hurried, the gift prepared before the foundation of the world has been made available to us through the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm just encouraging, can we stop and give thanks? He's the one who's worthy.